Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Surely your goodness and your mercy, your loving kindness, shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence, which never leaves us. Lord, remind us of that truth this morning, that even in those dark times when we feel alone and we feel that you're not with us. Lord, we can't trust our emotions, Lord. Help us by faith to claim the truth that you are with us. And we pray, Lord, that we might sense that this morning, that tangible sense of the comfort of your spirit with us your holy spirit your presence that you never leave us or forsake us but you are with us in the midst of all the difficulties of life and your goodness and your mercy they follow us all the days of our lives so lord speak to us this morning we thank you for your word we love your word and we love you to speak to our hearts and we pray lord you would give us an openness of heart this morning, ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you to our team again. Good morning. That's a lovely response. Welcome to you all on this, um, this cold, wet winter's day. And uh, those joining us online, in some cases from warmer parts of the world, good for you. Glad that you're joining us this morning and um, our, uh, our Walking with God series on the life of Moses is, um, is drawing to an end actually. There's one final episode next week but uh, today we're looking at that just that great story of the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the great exodus. Finally, the Israelites leave Egypt. And uh, I've got a painting for you this morning. It's a painting of the event by uh, Frederick Chopin, his artistic interpretation from the 19th century. And uh, he's an artist that um, painted lots of depictions, actually, of, uh, of biblical scenes, many, many different paintings. So uh, while that's up there, if you've been following the story so far, then you'll know that we've had God appearing to Moses at the burning bush, revealing himself uh, as the great I am the eternal, I am the eternal God. And we've had Moses doing his best to back away from any kind of leadership responsibility. And you might remember his uh, famous much loved line, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Uh, we've understood the plagues as demonstrations of the superiority of Yahweh over the numerous Egyptian gods. And uh, Moses' repeated plea, uh, let my people go. And uh, we heard that from Dan a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, last week with Michael, uh, we saw the significance of the Passover in its original context as uh, the lives of the Israelites, Israelites were saved literally by the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of their homes. Wonderful stories. Well, the whole story so far has been building to this climactic point of exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, God making a way 
where there seemed to be no way. This is what God does. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. And so the Exodus is really, um, the, uh, if you like, the inception of Israel's existence as a people. It doesn't simply deliver them from slavery. It does do that, of course. But uh, it's also the event that forms them and, if you like, gives them uh, their identity, their, their beginning. This is the event that represents their moment of salvation. It's the foundational event in Israel's history. And actually, uh, it's a paradigm, as we'll see, for salvation for all of humanity, for all of history. And so what we see through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament is a, uh, a constantly recurring, hearkening back to this event of the Exodus, this key Exodus event. And there are many examples, but let me just give you one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So uh, Isaiah writes these words more than 700 years after the Exodus, where uh, the context is that the Israelites are once again being oppressed, this time by the Assyrians, as they were back in Moses' day by the Egyptians. And uh, Isaiah writes this, This is what the Lord says, he who made a way, this is the hearkening back, he who made a way through the sea all those years ago, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Then Isaiah goes on to say to what the Lord is saying, saying, see, I'm doing a new thing. I'm making a way. Once again, I'm making a way in the wilderness. So effectively, God is saying, remember your history, Israel. Remember back to the Exodus. I've done it before and I'll do it again. Amen? We've sung that earlier today. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I will deliver you from your bondage and I'll bring you to a place of freedom of salvation. I am making a way, a way out of your current circumstances. I'm making a way, a way through. Well, then there's another great example of this hearkening back to the Exodus, hidden away in Luke chapter 9. And uh, it's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain. I've got another painting for you. I've become very cultured all of a sudden, haven't I? Uh, look at that one. This one's by... Um, Raphael, no, not the Ninja Turtle. I know that's what some of you are thinking. Raphael, the uh, Renaissance master from the 1500s. So that's Jesus at the top there. It seems like uh, he's put on a few pounds, hasn't he? It's, uh, with all due respect. Maybe it's just after the feeding of the 5,000 or something. Bread can do that. Anyway, as Jesus is praying there with Peter and James and John, up on the mountain we see his appearance changes... His clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. Then look at this. In Luke, we read this. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, in your Bible, you might well have a footnote at the word departure to tell you that the Greek word used here is the word 
exodos. Interesting. Exodus, which literally means the road out or the way. The way out. Ex-hodos, out of the way. The way out, the road out. It's no coincidence that Luke chooses this word uh, from which, of course, we get our English word exodus. And, of course, in John 14, 6, Jesus famously says, I am the way. Actually, it's the same root word, hodos, from where we get Ex-hodos, out. Hodos, I am the way. I am personally the way, the way out, the way through, whatever it is that you're going through. So here on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Jesus and Moses, interestingly, and Elijah discussing the imminent exodus of Jesus, his exodus. And so we understand, in a sense, Jesus represents the new Moses leading the way for God's people to cross over and to discover a new identity, a new life in Christ, to cross over from slavery and death to life and to the promised land, to their salvation. Amazing. Right, we better get on to the passage from Exodus today. And uh, once again, as we saw with Dan a couple of weeks ago, the passage is too long to read really in its entirety. So I've selected some key verses, um, but it's still quite long. It's a great story, so bear with me. I tried to shorten it down to a Reader's Digest version, but it's pretty difficult. Here we go. When Pharaoh let the people, let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. (laughs) He's probably right. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And a bit later on, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go. We've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them, all the other chariots of Egypt. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi, Hahiroth, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back, covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wow, what a story. So now out of that wonderful story, let me just pull out three things that the Israelites experienced that um, let me suggest we can also expect along our journey of salvation. And I use that phrase, uh, journey of salvation, deliberately because I think we can argue from the scripture that salvation is three things actually for all of us. It's an event, it's a process, and it's a destination. It's all three things. And so there's a salvation event where we first truly encounter God and we surrender our lives to him. We discover that we're found by him. And uh, then there's a process of being saved that the Bible calls sanctification, where we are being saved in an ongoing way from our sin. And then salvation, if you like, is a destination. The day will come when our salvation's fully realized, when we come face to face with Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, then you have been saved, you are being saved, and one day you will ultimately be saved and be one with Christ in the fullest possible sense. In the meantime, we're on this journey of salvation, if you like, together. Three things we can expect. Number one, along the journey, we can expect that God will take the unexpected route. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They finally escaped from the harsh rule of Pharaoh and uh, I'm sure they're all thinking, let's just get out of here as fast as we can. And yet, God takes them not the fastest way, but on the, the sort of the scenic route 
around by the desert and toward the Red Sea. Now, if that's not bad enough, in chapter 14, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, Now tell the Israelites to turn back and camp by the sea. Well, imagine Moses having to communicate that message to the Israelites, who've probably guessed by now that the full force of the Egyptian army is a day or so behind them in hot pursuit. They are literally being hunted down. They're literally running for their lives. And then Moses pipes up. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone. Uh, just stop for a second. God's told me that we should just actually like, go back the way we've come. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Doesn't seem like a good idea, Moses. Have you forgotten? We're being hunted down. If we go back that way, we'll actually also be hemmed in by the desert and by the sea. And so there will be no way for us to get out. There's no way out. No way. Yes. Well, that's what we have to do. Wouldn't have been a popular instruction, would it? Last week, Ken... Um, Margie and I were visiting family in Adelaide and at one point um, we were up in the Adelaide Hills uh, driving on roads that weren't that familiar to me, visiting Margie's brother and his wife. They live in a little town called Balhanna. Beautiful, beautiful part of the Adelaide Hills. But, uh, you know, after 25 years in Perth, this area has become a bit less familiar. And so as we left their place, um, his wife said to me, uh, she said, oh, which way are you going home? I suppose you'll go down Green Hill Road. Those of you familiar with Adelaide? And I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to follow the GPS. And I'll go whichever way the GPS tells me to go. Well, she didn't like that. Uh, she said, oh, can't always trust the GPS. I think you should go down, G down Green Hill Road. I said, um, nevertheless, I'm going to put my trust in the GPS. And uh, I'm just going to trust it's going to take me the way that is the fastest and most efficient way. So that's what happened. Um, we didn't go down Green Hill Road. The GPS didn't take us down Green Hill Road. We didn't go that way. But as we drove across the hills a couple of times, I was thinking, oh, I don't really know where I am. I hope this GPS is working okay. Well, uh, we reached our destination. But, you know, I just wanted to go the fastest way possible. Here's the point. In God's plan, speed and efficiency are not usually God's primary objectives. If they were, then the second you surrendered your life to Christ, you would hyperspace to glory <laughs> and just bypass all the rest of your life. Go straight to be with the Lord. Jackpot. Instead, God has plans for you for this life. He's got good works, we're told, that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Things he has for you to learn along the way. Lessons for you to learn, people that you need to be interacting with. And more important than speed and efficiency are what we might describe as lessons of trust. So we can expect, we should expect, that God will take us on various detours and meanderings and unexpected routes in life many of which are designed to teach us to trust him. 
We can expect to face challenges which at the time don't seem to make any sense and cause us to ask all sorts of questions. Questions like, why is God allowing this? Why is God taking so long? Why is God leading me down this particular road that seems to be a dead end? When this other way would seem to be faster and more efficient. And those are the times we need to learn to trust the GPS, not Google Maps, but God's positioning system. That GPS, God positions us actually in different ways, different times, different places, exactly where he wants us to be. And here's the GPS manual. We do wise, we do well to consult it on a regular basis. Lord, I think I'm lost. Lord, I feel like I'm maybe on the wrong road. But I submit myself to you once again. I trust in you. I trust in the GPS, God's positioning system. So Lord, help me to trust in you more, to follow you wherever you lead me. Unexpected roads. Well, number two, we can expect that along the journey that um, people will grumble and complain. (laughs) How many of you know that's true? Well, Moses had plenty of that, didn't he, all through his journey of following God? Not only did he do a fair bit of complaining himself, but he just seemed to be constantly (laughs) surrounded by whinges, people who were complaining to him. Um, Here are their complaints in the message translation, which I quite like. Have I got that up there, John? There we go. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to the Lord, to God. They told Moses, Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt? (laughs) I just love that. It's like a a heckle, isn't it? Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us? Taking us out to Egypt. Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you? Didn't we tell you? Leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. Wow, there's a lot of uh, pretty heated comments A lot of anger and frustration there. And interestingly, if you read Moses' response in the NIV, he sounds very patient and pastoral. It's like he's saying, don't be afraid, stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. Now you just just be calm. You just need to just be still. And so straight away we think, oh yeah, that's nice. Be still and know that I am God. But the tone of the Hebrew for that last phrase you need only to be still, is more like you just need to shut up. (laughs) Actually, it is. And Peterson understands this, Peterson who wrote the message. This is his version, which I think is more accurate. He says, God will fight the battle for you and you, you keep your mouths shut. What a different thing that is, isn't it? Than, um, you know, just, just be still. No, you need to shut up, actually. I love the raw honesty of Scripture. It doesn't beat around the bush or try and sanitise these difficult conversations. And for us, you know, there are often some tensions along the way in the life of faith and in community life. And so here, people are having a whinge. It would seem that perhaps Moses even loses his cool a bit. We know he's, he does that at other times. It's all part of our journey, too, that we have to learn to communicate well, to listen well, and to resolve things as best we can along the way. 
And interestingly, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers back to the time of Moses, and actually there's another reference to the Exodus there in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to read that sometime. And then in verse 10, Paul says this to the, it's a warning actually, to the church of Corinth. He says, and don't grumble. Don't do that. Don't grumble, as some of them did, referring back to the Israelites, and were killed by the destroying angel. Wow, seems like a pretty harsh penalty for grumbling, doesn't it? (laughs) Killed by the destroying angel. Well, there it is in Scripture. And so we need to be careful, actually, that we don't allow a grumbling, complaining spirit to develop in our hearts or in our church community or to become part of our church family culture here, which it can easily do. A grumbling and complaining culture. And maybe Moses was right. We might suggest sometimes we need to shut up and just get on with it, following the Lord. Well, the third thing we can expect is that the Lord will lead his people to salvation. Verse 30, there it is there. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left, and that day the Lord saved Israel. It's a great reminder, a great final reminder to us today that the Lord saves. This is what he does. This is his specialty. Salvation is his specialty. And the Old Testament Exodus story points us to our own personal new covenant story of salvation in Christ. Interestingly, Jesus says this in John 5, 24. He says, very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Interesting choice of words. I wonder if Jesus himself was hearkening back in some sense to the Exodus. Anyone who believes has crossed over from death to life. What that means is that the sea through which the church has passed has remained parted since the coming of Christ and will not return to its place until Jesus returns for his own. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that a way, a way had been opened where there seemed to be no way. We have access. We have a way through. Jesus himself is the way. The way through. The way out. The way through the waters. In Christ, the waves are parted and the invitation is there to cross over from death to life. From slavery and sin and addiction to hope and life and freedom. The way is open. The waters are parted by Jesus himself who leads the way through that exodus for all of us. And as many of us will testify, that's a journey that's challenging 
and difficult at times. There are unexpected detours, all sorts of twists and turns along the way. And maybe for you, life has taken some unexpected turns, things you didn't really want to happen or didn't expect, things that have left you feeling a little confused or disorientated or uh, even angry about the way things are. We know too that along the journey there are people who will grumble and complain. Some will fall away. There are some who'd rather be slaves in Egypt than take the risk of the journey of faith, trusting in a God they can't see. Maybe you've turned into a person who constantly grumbles and complains. Well, I'm not going to tell you to shut up. I'm far too polite for that. But maybe there's a word there for you, actually. Because that place of grumbling and complaining is a dangerous place to live. We all visit it from time to time, don't we? That place of grumbling and complaining. But when we camp there, and that place begins to become our norm. We're on dangerous ground. And maybe for you there's a word there that you actually need to just snap out of that. Whatever season you're in, God's promise is that he will be with you. The very one who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, I am will be with you always and will lead you in that crossing over. He'll be with you. He is with you. Jesus himself, the new Moses, will lead his people to salvation. Let's fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith and of our salvation. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, in Jesus' name. We come to you, the one who is the way. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. We thank you, Lord, that because of the cross, that curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, making a way where there seemed no way, giving us access to the Father, causing those waters to be parted. That we as those who put our faith in Jesus might walk through on dry ground through the way that has been opened up for us. Lord, we give you thanks for our salvation. And Lord, we also just bring before you the struggle that we face. For some of us, Lord, it just seems too much to bear. But Lord, we commit it to you and we pray that you'd help us to be those who keep our eyes fixed on you. That as we work our way through the, the twists and the turns and the detours, the unexpected, as we put up with the grumbling of others and our own, even our own complaining, that we get tired of our own complaints sometimes. But Lord, help us in the midst of all of that to look to you as the one who leads your people to salvation. We thank you for the story of the Israelites, 
for the things that uh, this story teaches us today. Help us to take these things to heart and to learn from them and to follow you in the midst of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.